Joyous, welcome to this week's special edition of Torah Studies. So as you know, every week we gather and study the Torah portion, the Parshas Hashavua, or Parshat Hashavua, the Torah portion of the week. This week we're going to take a bit of a departure from our normal course of study. And instead of studying the Torah portion of the week, we're going to be studying about the holiday of Hanukkah. And periodically we do this when we have a holiday, a special occasion, or something that comes up in the week. So oftentimes we'll, uh, we'll deviate from the parasha and talk about the holiday, and that is exactly what we're going to do tonight. I'm excited that you're joining me for this journey because we have a lot to get to. So let me kind of contextualize a little bit about what it is that we're going to cover tonight. So we're going to look at Hanukkah, and specifically we're going to look at the various miracles of the Hanukkah story. Because as you may know, Hanukkah is not just one miracle. So let's, let's actually play this out. Unmute yourself. I muted everybody just for a clean background. Unmute yourself and jump in. What are some of the miracles of Hanukkah that you are familiar with? Some of the miracles of this holiday that you are familiar with. Jump in. Who's got it? Military victory of the Maccabees over the Greek army. Excellent. Military victory of Maccabees over Greeks. Good. What else? Oil lasting for eight days instead of one. Good. Oil lasting for eight days instead of one. Good. What else? Who's got, who's got more miracles? What happened on Hanukkah? Yes. Well, um, what about um, Hannah and her seven sons? Oh, that's a good one. I mean... As a mother, that seems like a miracle to me. That's a, that's a good one. Well, she, they gave up their lives, right? They gave up their lives. Dedication to, uh, to Hashem. Good, good, good. I don't, so, I, you know, we might call that a miracle. We might call that Mesir Nefesh, which means the, um, the giving up of one's own life to sanctify God's name. But either way, certainly something very special associated with the holiday. Excellent. Good. What else? What else do we have? What other miracles or special things do we have associated with Hanukkah? Um, I saw somebody tweeted out um, the reverse Hanukkah miracle. You saw this one? They said that they had a supply of donuts for eight days that they finished in one. You saw that one? <laughs> <laughs> right? The, the old reverse Hanukkah miracle. A supply... A sup huh? They found a donut that had jelly in it. <laughs> well, that's also true. I know. That's, my, my kids said tonight, I just got back now from uh, Pond City Market. And my kids were saying how they were talking about the, the donuts, and one kid said jelly donuts, the other kid said there was no jelly. So anyway, it seems like as they're injecting the jelly, someone's got to be a little bit more, uh, more generous with that. But here's the thing. There are many miracles associated with the holiday. We're actually going to go through a number of them tonight in the context of really trying to understand what is a miracle and what is you know, the ultimate message of Hanukkah. There's so many messages and so many inspirational, you know, ideas surrounding Hanukkah, but what's, what's really the, the messaging of, of Hanukkah and what can we take into our own lives? So that's what we're going to explore tonight. I want to begin by, um, you know, thinking about the, com the common denominator between Jewish holidays. We have a number of Jewish holidays around the year. And really the reason why we're doing this is to understand where Hanukkah stands out and what the message of this holiday specifically is. So there's a number of holidays that seem to celebrate kind of the same thing. Right? If you think about it, a lot of the holidays are pretty much revolving around the same core idea. And that is that 
There were those that tried to kill us. We won. Let's eat. So jump in on this, right? Keep yourselves unmuted or unmute and jump in on this. Which Jewish holidays celebrate the idea of a threat to Judaism that was thwarted and we celebrate... Sorry? Purim. Purim. Good, good, good. What else? This is is a little different. They're not trying to kill us. They're trying to take away our faith and our Torah and our tradition. Good, good. Excellent. David's pointing out something excellent, and that is that whereas Purim, it was more of a physical threat, not more of a... It was Mm -hmm. an, an existential physical threat to the existence of the Jewish people. Hanukkah is a little bit different. Hanukkah is... It's more about the, um, the spirituality, more about the Judaism. It's more about the faith that the, that the Syrian Greek Hellenists wish to, to do away with. Good, excellent. But overall, it's, 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 it's a day, it's, a, it's the holiday celebrates or marks that there was a threat to Jews and or Judaism. And that was averted and we celebrate. What other major Jewish holiday other than Hanukkah? Passover. Passover. Good, Passover, right? Passover is like... That's like the mothership of, these, of, these, of this genre of holiday, right? Passover represents the liberation from slavery. So we were slaves for 210 years in Egypt. Brutal, brutal conditions, brutal slavery. And the Exodus, 10 plagues, Exodus, putting the sea, that is a tremendous, a watershed moment in Jewish history, and it's celebrated every single year. So, and the third, of course, is Hanukkah. So these are the three holidays that celebrate a threat and the averting of that threat. Just, to, just to, so you understand what, where I'm going with this and, and, and why I point out these three. The other Jewish holidays don't celebrate this. So, for example, Rosh Hashanah, the Jewish New Year, there's no threat that we're averting. Are you with me on this? Now, hold on. Yeah, we're averting the negative decree, sure. But we're not talking about a threat, an external threat, that is challenging the Jewish people and we got, you know, we got rescued. And we're, are you with me on this? Yes. Yom Kippur also, same deal. Um, Sukkot, same deal. It's like we're celebrating the tents, the, the clouds of glory and the protection that we had in the desert. That's great. It's not about a threat, like a, a threat from the outside to the, um, to the Jewish people. So, so that is, that's a very important distinction. It's a very important distinction. For, and, and also you have the holiday of Shavuot, which is the celebration of the giving of the Torah. That's a completely different genre. You have a, a multiple genres of Jewish holidays. You have some that commemorate historical events, some that celebrate, you know, milestones or whatever, and you have some that, that mark the idea of, of, of a danger that's averted. So the three holidays that celebrate danger being averted are Passover, with the end of slavery, Purim, with the end of Haman's nefarious plot, and Hanukkah, the end of the Hellenization of the, of the Jewish people. You with me so far? Yes? All, all, all very simple, all very basic, just to understand the boxes of the holidays, like where they fit in. Now, there is a common denominator between two out of three. If you lined up Passover, Purim, and Hanukkah, there's one that stands out as being different in the way we observe the holiday. Now, I know that Passover is a biblical holiday and thus we don't work on Passover, whereas Purim and Hanukkah are much shorter holidays that are rabbinic in origin because they came after the five books of Moses. I get it. So that's obviously a distinction. But how do we, let's, again, let's keep the dialogue open here. 
So unmute and, and jump in on this. How do we, how do we, how do we mark, or what is like, the, what's the highlight of Passover? What's the highlight of Passover? Help me out here. What's the highlight? Okay, chametz, matzah, but what's the highlight? What's the highlight? Seder. Seder. The Seder. The Seder has got to be the highlight, right? The, the cleaning out the chametz is all preparation. The matzah is what you're going to eat at the Seder. But the Seder is the highlight. Now, what happens? What's the bulk of the Seder? What's the bulk of the Seder? Retelling the story. Retelling the story. So, Passover, on Passover, right, it's all about retelling the narrative. Or telling the narrative. It's storytelling. It's a day that we, that we celebrate the Exodus, and we celebrate the Exodus, so we observe the holiday by telling the story. On Purim, what do we do? What's the major highlight of Purim? Megillah. The Megillah. And what does the Megillah do? Tells the story. Tells the story. You see a theme here? You with me? Hanukkah, what's the main observance? Lighting the menorah. Bam, bam, bam. <laughs> You see what I mean by one is different than the others? Come on. You guys saw that right. I, I'm happy to guide you through it because it's important that we understand the distinctions that exist over here. It's important that we understand that there's something a little bit different with Hanukkah. You see, on Passover, we tell the story. On Purim, we got a whole Megillah. A Langa Megillah. A Gansa Megillah. It's a Yiddish phrase for like a whole story. We have a whole story. The book of Esther. We read the whole story twice. Night and day, right? The whole deal. I know we do other stuff. We have a party, we have a feast, we give gifts of food, we give money. To, so I get it. But the highlight is the reading of the Megillah. The highlight on Passover is the Seder, where you tell the story to the, to the family, to the kids, to the guests, to yourself. What happens on Hanukkah? Different. Very different. On Hanukkah, we, um, I mean, primarily, we light the menorah. What about the story? I don't know. We spin a dreidel, give out gelt, whether real or fictional. I mean, you know, chocolate version, whatever it is. You know what's, you know, the latest trend late? I mean, it's been the last five years or so. You ever see the gelt drop? You ever see this? Gelt drop? It's where, it's a Chabad, a Chabad invention. Look, the Rebbe was the one to initiate the big public menorahs. Chabad rabbis in the last few years are the ones who figured out, you know what, you got all these people, let's do something dramatic. Let's get a fire truck or a crane and, and go have someone up there dropping bags of chocolate gelt on top of people's heads. What could possibly go wrong? I'm kidding. Now they put like little parachutes down. It's a very cute thing. The kids love it. Okay, but back to our story. You're not telling the story of Hanukkah as much as you are lighting a menorah. And it seems a little bit like a little bit different. Now, where do we tell the story? Let's, let, let me tell you where we do mention the story. Very briefly, in the Amidah, throughout the holiday. Now, Hanukkah is an eight-day, as you all know, right? As we all know, Hanukkah is an eight-day holiday. Every day of Hanukkah, three times a day in the Amidah, we recite a special prayer. We insert a special additional section, additional paragraph in the Amidah called the Al-Hanism or the Al-Hanism. And it tells the story in brief of Hanukkah. So let me pull that up on the screen and let's read this together and, and you'll see why I have a problem with this in a moment. All right, 
Let's ask Donna. Donna, are you up to reading this? This is just to show you what's going on here. This is text one, 134. This is coming from the Siddur, coming from the prayer book. This is the Vial Hanisim prayer. Please take it away. In the days of Matthias, the son of Yochan, the high priest, the Hassel Hasmanian and his sons, when the wicked Hellenic government rose up against your people Israel to make them forget your Torah and violate the decrees of your will. But you, in your abounding mercies, stood by them in the time of their distress. You waged their battles, defended their rights, and avenged the wrong done to them. You delivered the mighty into the hands of the weak, the many into the hands of the few, the impure into the hands of the pure, the wicked into the hands of the righteous, and the wanton sinners into the hands of those who occupy themselves with your Torah. You made a great and holy name for yourself in your world and effected a great deliverance and redemption for your people Israel to this very day. Then your children entered the shrine of your house, cleansed your temple, purified your sanctuary, kindled lights in your holy courtyards, and instituted these eight days of Hanukkah to give thanks and praise to your great name. Okay, and this is in the Amidah. It's an additional section that's added in every Amidah prayer during the, during the um, uh, eight days of Hanukkah. So three times eight is 24 times we say this. Also, when you say, when you eat bread at a meal and you say the grace after meals, you would add this section in there. And so one could argue, no, we have the story. We have the story. David. Want to jump in? Hold on, I'm I'm mute. So I have a question. So we also do al Hanisim for Purim. So in Amidah, we we tell the story of both Purim and Hanukkah. We don't do that for Pesach. Right. Good. 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 Interesting. Right. So for Hanukkah and Purim, we say the al Hanisim. We add it in on Passover on Pesach. We don't. So why not? Good. It's a good. It's a good question. I have another question, and I think maybe as we go through tonight's discussion, we'll have some clarification, but I have another way to ask, uh, I have another angle on a question, and that is, you know, it, so it would seem, just based on this, on this paragraph that we just read, or a few paragraphs that Donna read, that we are telling the story on Hanukkah. Here's the story. There were, um, uh, um, the wicked Hellenic government rose up against your people, Israel, to make them forget your Torah, da 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 but then... You cause us to be victorious, and then we light candles, and we have eight days of Hanukkah. Great. So we are telling the story. So if I ask you, you know, if my opening question, if the opening question of today's class was, how come Hanukkah we don't tell the story? We just light a, can- a candelabra. The answer is we do tell the story. But that's not a great answer. This is not a great answer. And you know why? What kind of story is this? I mean, this is like the most brief um, Cliff Notes version of the story possible. I mean, think about it. It's like, imagine Passover. You know, imagine if, if the Seder consisted of, we were once in Egypt, and we were slaves, and then God sent plagues and took us out, and we're here today to celebrate. I mean, let's go to the, let's go to the brisket. I mean, that would be the extent of the story. That would make a much shorter Seder and make a lot of people very happy. But it would, um, you know, but, but it, it, it's not the story. A story is... A conversation, a dialogue. The Megillah, Ampurim. It's a long document. It's a long scroll. It takes um, a very fast reader upwards of 30 minutes to read. I mean, it could take anywhere between 30 minutes, 45 minutes, and, and beyond if you want to read the Megillah and sing it and, and, and follow along. So it, it's a detailed story. We don't just say, Haman was a bad guy. He wanted to kill the Jews. Um, queen Esther, the, the queen was Jewish, and she said, 
I don't like this guy. The king got rid of the guy and gave the Jews back their safety and security and let us eat hamantash and amen. That's not, again, it's, it's a long story. So what we have here is still the question. On Passover, we tell a long story. How long is a Seder? It's multiple hours, and it's, it's meant to talk about this story. So it's like a three, four-hour ordeal. Not, not ordeal, maybe that sounds... A three, four-hour uh, party. Then you have Purim. 30, 45 minutes, 60 minutes of storytelling. And Hanukkah, the Amida, the little piece? Come on. What, where are we telling the story? What's going on over here? Um... So I want to share with you a perspective. And the perspective is the following. That we tell the story in a different way. We tell the story in a very, on Hanukkah, we tell the story in a different way. We tell the story through, what am I going to say? Through the menorah. Through the lighting of the menorah. The candles themselves are telling the story. In other words, there's two ways to tell a story. You can tell a story like a narrative. Like stories are typically told. You can tell a story by saying, sit around and I want to tell you a story and you launch into a story. Or you can tell a story through action. And sometimes those stories speak the loudest and have the strongest impact. So the question that I began, that I've, that I've uh, um, presented is why does Hanukkah not have a story? Or why aren't we telling the story? So my answer to that is, we do tell the story. We're telling the story through the flames. We're telling the story through the, through the candles. We're telling the story through the menorah. When we light the menorah and we gather around and we watch the candles dance, we watch those, the flames flicker, it's the story that's being told to us. And I want to share with you a quote from Maimonides that says something along these lines. This is going to be text number three. And uh, let me pull this up. Maimonides says, Maimonides says the following. Text number three. Let's see who is going to read this. Let's ask Paul. Paul, please read Maimonides. Text three. The mitzvah of kindling Hanukkah lamps is very dear. One should be very careful in its observance to publicize the miracle and thus increase our praise of God and our gratitude for the miracles that he performed for us. What's, thank you. What's interesting here is the, the language that the Rambam uses, Maimonides uses. He says, one should be very careful in its observance to publicize the miracle. Publicize the miracle is almost, almost, not exactly, but almost another way of saying telling the story, right? It's when we have the candles lit, it's telling the story of the miracle. And it's increasing our praise of God and our gratitude for the miracles that He performed for us. In other words, it's an action that tells the story. So on Passover, primarily we tell the story by telling the story. On Purim, we tell the story by telling the story. And on Passover, we tell the story. And on Hanukkah, we tell the story by lighting candles. That's the way it happens on Hanukkah. Mark, I see your hand and I, I'm so tempted to give you five. <laughs> on your hand. But yeah, jump in. About the Al Hamdi Singh, the Al Hamdi Singh, uh, those two, actually, yes. I guess three, three paragraphs, whatever, uh, which I know you say in the benching and all that. Right. For, as you were saying, for both Passover and for Hanukkah. Perm, but, yeah. don't, but we don't say, Elokeinu Velokei Avu, we don't say that, which is for a young, 
So that you can show there, there's for those who don't right. know, there's, there's paragraphs from Sefer Yantin, and these are not Yantin. The Yalavyava, right. Yeah, so this to me is a it's a compensatory uh, blessing because I don't I know that uh, Purim is I don't believe Purim is a is a Torah holiday. No, no, no. And Hanukkah is not a Torah holiday. You are correct. You are correct. Right. Mark, you're 100% right. The Yala Viovo, which Elokeinu Bukhevo said in Yala Viovo, that, that sections, those sections, we add to the Amidim, to the benching, we only add on a major biblical holiday. Purim and Hanukkah are the two rabbinic holidays simply because they didn't happen in the time setting of the Bible. Right? The five books of Moses... Take the, the they, they span the first twenty five hundred years right of uh, of 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 humankind. Hanukkah happens. Sorry, Purim happens later. Hanukkah happens later. So these are rabbinic holidays, and so yes, they get a different type of insertion of insertion of prayer. But where I'm slicing it is not biblical versus rabbinic. Is storytelling through storytelling or storytelling through action. And we find this interesting distinction. On Passover, we tell the story. On Purim, we tell the story. On Hanukkah, we light candles. And I asked, where's the story? And the answer is, the story is in the candles. But now we have to look in the candles to figure out what the story is, right? Now, now we have to listen, listen to the flames. But first, I'll ask the obvious question, which is we gave a nice answer without even explaining it. The story is in the candles. Okay, sounds poetic, maybe a bumper sticker or a t-shirt, right? Listen to the flames, and it sounds mysterious, it sounds mystical, right? It's great to drop that knowledge and then to say, now you interpret that in your own way. But number one, what does that mean? Number two, what wh- why is the story of Hanukkah being told through the candles? So you're talking, no, we are telling the story, but in a different way. So that just shifts the question, but the question still remains. Why is it different? You're not, we're not, we haven't really answered the question, right? The question is, why don't we tell, the first question was, why don't we tell the story? The answer is, we're telling the story by lighting the candles. Okay, why not just tell the story? <laughs> what are we doing here? Right, why is it different? Why is Hanukkah fundamentally different than the other holidays that celebrate victories and salvation and that sort of thing? So that, that's honestly the, the question we've been asking consistently, just in slightly different forms. I'm taking you a little bit through the pill through the journey here. But either way, we're, we're at a place where we have this question, why is Hanukkah different? To mix metaphors, manishtana, ha-chag hazeh mikol ha-chagim. Why is this chag, why is this holiday different from the others? Why is this holiday of Hanukkah one that we don't tell the story at length, we just light the candles and that's the story, but why is it done that way? So to understand this, let's take a deep dive into what happened on Hanukkah. And the way we're going to do, and, and what are the miracles, and I, this is how I opened the class. At the very beginning of this class, I asked you, what are the miracles of Hanukkah? And we had a few responses. But there are more. There are more than what was mentioned, and I want to go through them now. But the way we're going to do this is by looking at the prayer, Hanerot Halalu, the prayer that's recited Traditionally, right after you light the menorah. So every night of Hanukkah, as the sun sets and as it gets dark outside, right, we light the menorah. The first night, one lamp. The second night, two. The third night, three. Tonight is the fifth night. By the way, I should mention, should start with this. Tonight is the fifth night, which means we now have the majority of candles lit on your menorah. When you look at the menorah, 
right? We've always been thus far in the minority. Last night, we were 50-50. We had four lit, four unlit. Tonight is the first night where you have more candles that are lit than unlit. You have five against three. So there's, we're, we're, we're making progress. Tonight is where the, the momentum is on our side, on the side of light. So that's a good thing. So it's a, it's a high energy night. Right after we light the menorah, no matter what night it is, right after we light the menorah, there is a little paragraph of prayer that we say. And I want to excerpt that right now because this will tell us the story of Hanukkah and the miracles that we're marking and why it is that we tell the story in this way. And you'll see what I mean in a moment. Let me share my screen and let's do this together. This is going to be text number four. This is, I love this uh, caption here, the post-kindling prayer. The post-kindling prayer. This is what we say right after we kindle the menorah. I'm going to read this one. After kindling the Hanukkah lamps, one proclaims. By the way, this is from the Talmud. The Talmud says that we're supposed to say it, and we say it. It's in, it's in the Siddur, it's in the prayer book, it's in the liturgy. But the Talmud says this is what you should say after lighting the menorah. You ready? We kindle these lamps to commemorate the saving acts, the miracles, and the wonders. I'm going to read that again. We, this is, we literally say this. In fact, in Chabad, there's a tune, a beautiful melody that's sung. Hanei rois, halalu. I know it says ha'elu. All right. Hanei rois, halalu. Hanei rois, halalu. Halalu. Hanei rois, halalu. That's two words so far. Anu amadlikin. We're up to four words. Bum, 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 bididum. All right. Anyway, the song goes on. It's a long song. It's like a five, six minute song for one paragraph. It's very slow and methodical and beautiful. But what does it say? This is just the opening line. It says, we kindle these lamps. Right after we kindle the lamps, we kindle these lamps. Why? To commemorate three things. The saving acts, the miracles, and the wonders. We need to break this down. What are the saving acts? And what are the miracles? What are the wonders? What is the difference? In Hebrew, it's Yeshuot. Yeshuot is like salvation. Saving acts. Nisim, miracles. Niflaot, wonders. Are they just synonyms? Did we just open up a thesaurus and throw out Saving acts, miracles, and wonders. Woo! It's a part. No, 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 no. Each one reflects a different type of incredible thing that happened in the story of Hanukkah. So first, the first thing we need to do is understand the difference in general between a saving act, a miracle, and a wonder. So what do they mean? So let me break this down. This is based on the teachings of Hasidus, Hasidic philosophy, Hasidut, and the teaching specifically of the Lubavitcher Rebbe. Um, why doesn't Chabad sing Mosor? We sing it. Um, we sing it by, typically by uh, menorah lightings, <laughs> public menorah lightings, because people know it. Why is it not in the Chabad Siddur? I'm not sure. It's a good question. I'm not sure. Ma'osor Yeshu Ati. I don't know. It's got hard Hebrew words, right? That people don't always know. 
And we're always like, do we say egg roll there? Or egg, what are we saying, right? Anyway, back to, uh, back to the story. So what is a Yeshua? What is a Nase? And what, it, and what is a Pella? What are these three different phrases? What is a salvation, a saving act? What is a miracle and what is a wonder? Let's break them down one by one. So number one is a saving act. A saving act, this again, this is the way the Rebbe explains it. A saving act means as follows. It means that, for example, let's say you have two opponents pitted against each other. Two opponents that were pitted against each other. And they're pretty much equally balanced. So two wrestlers. And they're both strong. And, you know, any given time, one could win or the other could win. It's not like there's a clear-cut dominant power in the room in that space. It's, you know, each one is strong and each one could at some point, you know, defeat the other. Well, when one of them wins, one of them can choose to see their victory as a Yeshua, as a saving act, as, an, as, an, as a divine blessing, you know, thank God, with God's help, I was able to overcome my adversary. It's like uh, if you ever watch professional sports, you know, oftentimes somebody scores a touchdown, the next thing you know, they're praying, right? Does it mean, right, that a miracle happened? A miracle didn't happen. A touchdown is a touchdown. It happens often. But a person is choosing to see God in that moment. In other words, yes, it's true that by nature, that you're strong and you're capable and you could have accomplishes, but you're choosing to see God present in that experience. So again, even though it's not a miracle that defies all odds and defies logic, it's not, it's not supernatural. It's got very rational underpinnings and explanations, but you're choosing to see the hand of God in your success. Does that make sense? Yes? Sort of? At all? Okay, let me, so just, just simply, without getting stuck on the semantics and the language, a saving act is here a reference to something that, that by and large is a natural event, but the person or the people are choosing to experience as being divinely ordained or divinely commissioned. It's something that's coming from on high, even though it could... You know, it, it could make sense even on the ground. Okay, that's, that's a saving act. What's a miracle? A miracle is something else. A miracle is not something that has a natural explanation. A miracle is something that is completely beyond explanation. A miracle is, you know, the Red Sea, is, the Red sea splits, water turns to blood, um, I mean, it, the Nile River turns to blood. It's talking about something that, that, that defies explanation. It's not like, oh, I defeated the opponent with God's help. I defeated the opponent. Now, this is beyond that. This is an open miracle. It doesn't make sense. There's no way for me to do this on the ground. It's only because of an open miracle that this was able to happen. That's what a nace is. That's what a miracle is. The burning bush. The burning bush. Yeah. Yeah. Although that we may, let's, maybe that it's either a nace or a pella. Either it's a miracle or the third category, which is a wonder, which we'll get to in a moment. But really, in the third category, we have two categories. So we really have three 
we we have th we have three that are four. So, but I, I don't want to I don't want to get too confusing here. So, just just to recap, category number one is something that we would otherwise consider to be pretty natural, but in this case, we say we choose to believe that it's God who blessed this opportunity and 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 designated for for uh, designated it for us. So, it's an act of God. Okay, that's one. Category two is an open miracle. Category number three is what we call a Pella. Now, a Pella is a, is a wonder. What's a wonder? So the way the Rebbe explains it is, the event itself seems to be natural, but the circumstances seem a little bit too coincidental to be perfectly natural. So for example, imagine there's a war between two nations, or sorry, between two um, armies. And the general of one army suddenly has a heart attack and dies. And that army is left in disarray. And, you know, everything, they, they get defeated. So nothing supernatural about that. But the timing, the coincidence, right? The fact that they had the heart attack right at that time so that your army could defeat them, da-da-da. So that seems a little bit larger than life. A little, not larger, a little bit larger than than what could be naturally perfectly explained. So we might say that is a Pella. That is, that's a wonder. So a wonder is a hybrid between category one and category two. Category one is something completely natural that you choose to attribute to God, right? I won, I could have won. I'm naturally on the grounds, on paper, I could win this war, but I'm choosing to see this as God's blessing, great. That's category one. Category two is, it's not me choosing to see God. It's clearly God. It's an, it's an open miracle. Nais, by the way, in Hebrew means banner. You know what a banner is? Something that you can't miss. It's like a billboard. It's like, oh, it's right there. I can't miss it. A nace, a miracle is, it's open. It's clear. It's a banner miracle. It's, it's obvious. You can't deny that there's something bigger going on. The third category, Pella, is a little bit of this and a little bit of that. By and large, it's natural, but there are some elements that seem a little bit too good to be true. Too much coincidence, right, to just chalk it up. It's too perfect to be chalked up to coincidence. Happened to be at that moment, that happened to lead to this, to lead to that. That seems like it's a little bit of a higher situation, but it's not a clear miracle like the other type of miracle. It's... Um, it's a, it, it's, it's, it, it could still be a natural occurrence, but it's got some sort of supernatural element to it or, or, you know, incredible element to it as well. Now that's category three. Category four, because I said the, th the third category, Pella, is actually two. So that's one type of Pella. The other type of Pella is a miracle that is so wondrous that it's even bigger than the miracle that we call Nace. It's such a wonder that it def even as you see it as an obvious miracle, it still makes you makes your mouth drop and your jaw drop, and it's like, wow, that's like completely melts your brain. That might be, Mom, what you said before about the burning bush. It's not just a miracle, but it's a miracle that has a paradox in it at the same time. It's a miracle that it's the the burning bush is a miracle, right? But the fact that it's burning, but it's not being consumed means that maybe, may, I don't know, I'm not sure where to, I don't know where, where to rank it. Is that a nace or is that level two of Pella, which is level four over here? 
I'm not sure exactly where to rank it, but it, it might be level four, the highest level, which is this miracle that is so big that we can't even wrap our heads around it even as we see it. It's too big. So these are the four, four levels. So very, and the, the, main, the most important thing here is clarity. So it's not a, it's not a, it's not a, it's not philosophy. It's, it's, I hope my, my goal is to be clear. So level one is a completely natural, by and large, a completely natural occurrence that the person is choosing to see as divine. Level two is an open miracle. Level three is more or less natural, but with some supernatural features. And level four is something that's completely supernatural. The Rebbe says, that if you look at the story, at the timeline of Hanukkah, it follows one, two, three, four. If you look at the history of the holiday, what happened in the story of Hanukkah, not the cliff note version that we read, but if you look at all the sources and you piece together the story of Hanukkah, you realize step one, two, three, four. Let's break it down. Let's break it down. What are these four steps in the story of Hanukkah and how do they align perfectly with the prayer that we say after lighting the menorah? We lit the menorah and we say, thank you God, we're lighting these candles to remind us of the Yeshuot, the Nisim, and the Niflaot. To remind us of the saving acts and the miracles and the wonders. The Rebbe says the exact chronological order the exact order of these three things is the chronological order of the story, but let's go through it. So what happened was, many years ago, about 2,300 years ago or so, the Syrian Greeks, we're going to now go over the story of Hanukkah, but in, in a little bit more detail. The Syrian Greeks wished to Hellenize the Jews. And there was some success that was to be had. There were a lot of Jews that had kind of um, um, embraced that way of thinking and become more modernized and Hellenized and assimilated. But there were a group of Jews who banded together and said, no, this is not a good trend. This is not where we need to be. And they fled to the, a place called Modi'in. Modi'in was outside of Jerusalem. It was a place where they could kind of gather and be a little bit outside the main cities and, and, and stay protected and secured. Well, here's what happened next. I'm going to share with you the text. I'm going to read it. It's very long. This comes from the book of the Maccabees. It's not a book that's one of the 24 holy books of Judaism. But it does tell the story and has a lot of details of the story of Hanukkah in it. And it's going to be very instructive to understand the timeline here. So take a look at text number five. Again, Book of the Maccabees. Here we go. The king's officers. Oh, sorry. Who was the king? This was the Syrian Greek king. His name was Antiochus Epiphanes. The king's officers arrived in the city of Modi'in to compel the people to turn against God's Torah and to offer sacrifices to the idols. Many Jews assembled, and I'm just going to say the Hebrew name, and I think everyone knows that name due to the, uh, the Hasidic reggae superstar sensation. Matis Yohu, there you go. Many Jews assembled on Matis Yohu and his sons. Again, this word I'm calling Matis Yohu, that's his name. Matis Yohu and his sons girded themselves. 
The king's officer said to Matasio, you, you are revered and respected by your people. You have many children and a large family. Therefore, be the first. You be the first to approach the altar and fulfill the king's decree, as is done throughout the kingdom and among the population of Judea and Jerusalem. This will curry favor with the king, and you will be rewarded with gold, silver, and precious gifts. Now, Matasio was a Kohen. He was a priest. He was the son of Yochanan, a Kohen Gadol, a high priest. He was a very, very prominent man. And the king's officers, who were dispatched to the city of Modi'in, to the town of Modi'in, they went to Matasio, they went to the most respected guy in town and said, hey, you be the first. If you uh, approach the altar and offer these sacrifices and, and to idols on the altar, everyone's going to follow you. And, and, you'll be re and we'll reward you greatly with gold, silver, and precious gifts. Matasio, next. Matasio raised a powerful voice in reply. Although all the nations under the king's dominion obey the king and betray the statutes of their heritage, my son, my sons and I nevertheless not verge even, sorry, my sons and I will nevertheless not verge even an iota from our ancestor statutes. We will never forsake God's laws and annul his covenant with, covenant with us, heaven forbid. We will therefore never obey the king's demand that we betray our statutes. He basically said to the officers, not going to happen. When he concluded, a Jewish man, listen to this, a Jewish man, somebody else, stepped up to the altar in Modi'in to offer a sacrifice before all as the king had decreed. Matasio saw this and was inflamed with passion and zeal. He attacked the man in a fury and slayed him at the foot of the altar. He also slayed the king's officer and destroyed the altar. Thus, he dealt zealously to protect God's law as Pinchas had once done to Zimri, the son of Saloi. Matasio then rushed into the city and called out loudly, Those who tremble before God's law and maintain the covenant, follow me. He and his sons fled into the mountains of the Judean desert and left all their possessions in the city. Those to whom God's Torah was dear followed them and fled into the desert. This, this section that I just read tells the story of the birth of the Maccabees. When did the Maccabees, how does that, the Maccabees, the mighty Maccabees, how does it begin? It begins with Jews living away to do their own thing in Modi'in, and the officers come and say, nope, you guys are going to serve idols. We're Hellenizing you here as well. And Matasio, you're going to go first. And he says, no, but someone else says, okay, I'll do it. And he killed, Matasio kills him, kills the officer, or officers, destroys the altar, and they all run away to the caves in the hills and create a band of, of, of guerrilla fighters known as the Maccabees that ultimately, as we'll go, we'll go through the narrative in a moment, that ultimately uh, tell the story or, or serve as, as the key to the story of Hanukkah. So this is miracle number one. So, so what happened? What happened? How many Jews were in Modi'in? There were a lot of Jews. And Matasio himself had five sons, so there was Kanainahara, a big family. And how many officers were there? Seems like a few. So naturally, naturally, based on the laws of nature, was it possible for Matasio and his sons to kill the, the, the Syrian Greek officers that came to try to Hellenize them? Yes or no? Was it, you can nod, right? Was it, was it natural, was it possible to kill them? Yes. Was it a miracle that... No. 
Did Matisio and his sons, did they, see, did, they, did they see this as something that was divinely ordained or something that had you know, a divine um, opportunity here, a divine message, a divine mission? Absolutely. This is what we would call a Yeshua, a salvation. It's not a miracle. There's no miracle here. right? There was one, a few officers and a bunch of Jews, and the Jews killed the officers and drove them back at but they chose to see this as an opportunity or a, a, an experience that was divinely ordained for them to have. They looked at this as a Yeshua, as a salvation, as an opportunity now to band together and to fight. This was now part of a bigger experience. That's how they chose to see it. So that's step one. What happens next? What happens next is word gets back to Antiochus. Yeah, of course, the news travels fast, even before Twitter. And the next thing, next thing you know, the king sends an army to drive out these, this band of Maccabees. And he sends a general, he sends an army, and who is the general here I have in my notes? The general is, hold on, the general is Nicanor. Nicanor, a famous general, is sent to defeat the upri- uh, the, this uprising of Jews, and Nicanor is killed in battle. The Syrian Greek general, the big shot guy, was killed. Word gets back to, 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 to headquarters, to Antiochus, to the king, and he sends an even stronger army, an even bigger army, under the leadership of his prized general, whose name was Bagris. Bagris came to Israel and terrorized the populace, but he also was defeated. Okay, and Bagras lived to tell the tale, but here's what happens next. I'm going to read, read to you the next passage of the story. Okay, so text 6a. Bagras, the wicked, he was the general, boarded a ship and fled to King Antiochus, and with him were those who escaped the battle. This is after they lost, right, they lost against the Jews. Bagras said to Antiochus, though the king commanded the Jews to cease observing the Sabbath, the new moon festival, and circumcision, they defrauded you and rebelled against you. However, the combined armies of all the nations in the world could not conquer the five sons of Matasio. They are mightier than lions, swifter than eagles, and fiercer than bears. The bears. Your majesty, I advise you not to send a small army or you will be shamed before all the kings. Rather, draft every officer in your kingdom, without exception, along with their armored elephants. This suggestion found favor, found favor with Antiochus, who raised a powerful army from all the provinces of his kingdom. The governors of each province appeared with their footmen and armored elephants. Okay, so what happened is, basically, what started as um, a, a, a few people pushing back some officers that were trying to get them to offer a sacrifice to idols, then turns into a full-scale war between these rebels, known as the Maccabees, and this massive Syrian, uh, Syrian Greek army. Now, the Syrian Greek army, the number of, of soldiers that they put together numbered in the tens of thousands. I want to say upwards of 40,000 men they sent to, to, to defeat the Maccabees. The Maccabees, look, there was a father, Matasio, five sons, and whoever else joined them. I don't know the number, but it was, wasn't 40,000 people, right? And it wasn't armed with, it wasn't with armored elephants, I mean, this is like, it, it's completely imbalanced. Um, okay, let's continue with text 6b. Here's how the story plays out. After this, Matasio's five sons went forth and fought the many armies and killed many of them. 
But their oldest brother, Yehuda, died in this battle. When they saw that their brother had been killed, the brothers returned to their father. Matasio asked, why did you return? They replied, our brother, our collective eagle, was slain. Matasio replied, I will go with you and fight the enemy lest the house of Israel perish when they perceive your alarm over your brother's death. Matasio went out and fought alongside his sons. The heavenly God delivered the enemy's mighty warriors to them, of, many whom were, of whom many were slain. Of the sword-wielding warriors, archers, officers, and deputies, none remained. The surviving remnants fled to distant lands. Basically, the short of the story is, the Maccabees defeated the massive 40,000 uh, soldier army of the Syrian Greeks with the, the, the strongest, mightiest warriors and with the, uh, the armed elephants and everything. And these band of Maccabees defeated them. This is not normal, and it's not natural, and it's not just, I choose to see God's hand in this moment. I choose to see God in this experience. This is much more than that. What is this? This is level two. What do we call this? A, an open miracle. This is nothing short of a miracle. This is not normal. It's not natural. It's not usual. It's not expected that the Maccabees should defeat the Syrian Greek army. Is, it's a miracle. Step three. Having defeated the Syrian Greek army, they recaptured Jerusalem. They, they went back from the hills into the big cities. They recaptured, the Jews recaptured Jerusalem, and they salvaged the temple, and they were looking to light the menorah. Right? This is part of the story we all know, right? They were looking to light the menorah, and they couldn't find oil that was kosher. Kosher oil had a seal from the high priest. There was no oil. All the oils had been defiled. The seals had been cracked open by the Greek army. Syrian Greek army, until they found one jar of oil with the seal. Finding one jar of oil, let's stop the story right here. Finding one jar of oil, is it a miracle? Not really. I mean, you know, you could chalk it up to, all right, listen, the Greeks thought they, the Syrian Greeks thought they had, you know, defiled all the oils. They missed one, and we found it. Okay. Is it? God is good. Oh, that's level three. Level three is, right? It's not a miracle, but it's very highly coincidental, right? It's like, one second. It's not a miracle. Finding a, a jar of oil that somebody didn't get to, it's not a miracle. But the fact that there was one left in a special hiding place, uh, okay, so it's not, a, it's not completely natural. It's not a miracle, it's a little bit of a hybrid. It's natural, but it's, it's highly coincidental that they would happen to find it. And then we have level four. The fourth miracle is they took that little oil and they lit the menorah and it lasted for how long? Eight days. Eight days. That makes no sense. The oil was burning, but it wasn't being consuming, but, but it wasn't being consumed. You know what that sounds like? The burning bush. Yes. The burning bush we spoke about before. This is the Rebbe says is level four miracle. That's a wonder. That's not just a miracle. That's like... Jaw drop, like this is crazy. So what we have here in the story of Hanukkah, if you go through the story of Hanukkah, you have the initial victory in Modi'in, which is natural. It's not, it's not supernatural. That's level one, but thank God for that. Then you have the unbelievable miracle of the small Jewish army defeating the mighty and, and numerous Syrian Greek army. That's level two. That's a miracle. Yet finding the oil, which is highly coincidental, Right? Kind of a miracle, kind of normal, kind of hybrid. Level three and level four is the oil lasted for eight days. That's crazy. That's crazy again. So you have one, two, three, four. The Rebbe says, 
This is the prayer that we say. I'm gonna I'm gonna bring it up again. This is what we mean in the in the in the Haner Salalu that we say right after we light the menorah, we say, We kindle these lamps. Why do we just light the menorah? To commemorate the saving acts. That refers to Modi'in, the miracles, that refers to the big war, the wonders, and that refers to finding the oil and it lasting for eight days. However, and this is really the big idea that we're going to get to, and we got to get to it quick because we're right at the time, but I'm going to do this, I'm going to try to do this fast, but here's the major punchline. Later on in the same prayer, this one, text four, the prayer, it's a, it's, a, it's a paragraph. This is the first line. Later on in the paragraph, it reverses the order. It says, instead of saving acts, miracles, and wonders, the order is miracles, wonders, and saving acts. Instead of one, two, three, it goes two, three, one. Where do you see that? You might be wondering, where do I, where do I see that? Where am I making that up from? Let me show you. Let me show you. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Stay with me. Stay with me. Here we go. Why do we light these candles? At the end of the paragraph, we after lighting the menorah, we say, why, why do we do this mitzvah? Why do we light the candles? To offer gratitude and praise to your great name for what? For your miracles, your wonders, and your acts of saving. Two, three, one. Gewalt. Why are we out of order? The same, the same prayer, the same prayer we did. First, acts of sa saving acts, then miracles, then wonders. And then at the end, we said miracles, we say miracles, wonders, and acts of saving. And, and, and honestly, many of us have said this many times and probably never noticed that the order is switched. The Rebbe notices it. And the Rebbe asked the question, why is the order switched? In the, the first part, the opening of that paragraph, we say acts of saving miracles and wonders. And that's the chronology of the story. It fits perfectly. But at the end, we say, no, no, no. Miracles, wonders, and acts of saving. What's going on? The Rebbe says the following to answer. I'm going to cut it short, but I hope it lands with a punch. Okay? Stay with me. In the beginning of the paragraph, we go in the chronological order of the story. Modi'in, then the big war, then the finding of the oil, and then the lighting of the menorah. Great. It follows... But at the end, we're talking about what makes the biggest impact. So first we talk about the big miracle of the, of the military victory. The nais, the nisim, the miracles of the victory. Then we talk about the wonder of finding the oil. And then we talk about the modi'in. The, the victory when Matasio first killed the officer. It wasn't a miracle, but... It was the first moment where, where they, they got energized and where they, they found God in, in, in that experience. So we're basically going from the biggest miracle to the smallest miracle. Why? Because in our perception, the first thing we notice are the big miracles. And then we notice the less big miracles. And then we might, order, we might notice also the, the miracles in the everyday and the ordinary. But first... We notice the first thing that catches our attention is when like the impossible happens. Like, whoa, where did that come from? Ah, that's God. And then it's like, oh, but God might also be in the coincidences. And then, oh, God might also be in nature and the natural acts that happen. Are you with me on this? It's in the order of perception. And then the Rebbe says a deeper idea. And this is the last point. And the deeper idea is it's not just an order of perception. 
decreasing, right? Decrease, diminishing order of perception. The big miracle, then the less miracle, the less big miracle, and the less obvious miracle, and then the one that you don't even notice. It's actually going in increasing level, in, in, it's, it's increasing in potency. You see, there's a major Kabbalistic idea, a major mystical idea, that the higher something is, the lower it goes. You know that expression, the bigger they are, the, the, bigger they are, the harder they fall? Well, in Kabbalah, it's the bigger, the bigger they are, the lower they fall. It's kind of like a wall that's made of bricks, a brick wall that has you know, layers and layers, levels of bricks. When it falls down, the bricks at the top are falling the furthest away from where that from where that base was. So the higher it is, the further it falls, the further away it falls. The same thing is true when it comes to miracles. The bigger the miracle, the lower the source. I'll say that again. The bigger the miracle, it's coming from a spiritual place, but it's a lower level. The higher the source, the lower it falls, the more mundane it seems. So the greatest miracle is the stuff that seems the most ordinary. Nature itself is the greatest miracle. In fact, in Tanya, the author Rebbe says that the author of Tanya, Rebbe Shneir the founder of Chabad, he writes that Teva, which is the Hebrew word for nature, Teva is a word that we use when we can't explain. We say the nature of this thing is to act this way under these conditions. The nature of a thing. Why is that its nature? Because that's its nature. In other words, we don't know. <laughs> or, or you can't explain it. When you use the word nature, it means that you're saying that it's, it's beyond. Nature itself is miraculous. And the higher it, the, the, the lower it appears, the more mundane it seems, the higher the source. So, the Rebbe says, the big miracle of the victory of the few over the many and the weak over the mighty, the big military victory, that's the nace. The light, the energy, the spirituality of that miracle is lower level. The miracle of finding the oil, yeah, the coincidence of finding the oil, even higher. And the miracle of the ordinary, when Matasio, you know, pushed back against the, the Greek officers and slayed the, you know, etc. That, which not, might not even call it a miracle, it's just, yeah, it's a natural thing. They were, they were outnumbered. Uh, the Greeks were, the Syrian Greeks were. That is the greatest miracle. Because the greatest miracles are the ones that seem the most ordinary. Nature itself is the greatest miracle. And this is the message of Hanukkah. As we celebrate the great miracle of the oil lasting for eight nights and the military victory, Hanukkah also reminds us to look at the ordinary, to look at the everyday, to look at life, not the miracles of life, but life itself, and to see it also as a miracle, to see it also as a gift from God. God is not only in those big moments. God is not only in the splitting of the sea and the ten plagues and the, men, the, the, the victory of the few over the many and the, the oil lasting for eight days. That's not the only place where God is. God is also in the ordinary. 
God is also in the everyday. God is in the sun rising and the sun setting. Nothing out of the ordinary. But God is there as well. And in fact, in Kabbalah, God is, according to Kabbalah, God is not just there also. God is there. A deeper dimension of God is in the, is in the, the natural even more than the supernatural. This is the message of Hanukkah. This is the story, the narrative of Hanukkah. We typically think the story of Hanukkah is that the oil lasted for eight days. That's one of the stories of Hanukkah. But there's four miracles. There are four stories. And the deepest story, as the Rebbe explains, is that last story. The ordinary story of one guy who was fed up with being pushed around, who said, enough is enough, and we're going to start defending ourselves. Is that a miracle? No. Is it ordinary? Yes. But is God in the ordinary? The answer is yes. And that's the story of Hanukkah. So why don't we tell it? Why do we light the menorah? That's how I started the class. Why don't we tell it? Because the whole point of the story is that even in those spaces that don't look so miraculous, there's something special there. And that's what we do when we light the menorah. We wait till it's night and then we light candles to demonstrate that the night itself can shine. The darkness itself has the power to be illuminated because in the darkness there is that divine spark, that divine energy. In the places that seem the most ordinary, the most plain, the most dark, there is tremendous light. So on Hanukkah, we wait till it gets dark outside and then we light the menorah. And in that moment, when those candles are dancing against the night sky, when you have your menorah in the window, it's a great name for a jewelry workshop, when you have the menorah in the window, right, pulsing beautifully, Against the blackness of night, the message is, here too there is light. Even in the ordinary, there is beauty. Don't just wait for the extraordinary moments to find God. Find God in the ordinary moments. It's easy to find God in the extraordinary. It's easy to say, if God spoke to me, then I would, then of course I would do X, Y, and Z. If God told me to do this mitzvah, of course. Don't, don't, don't. Don't wait for a miracle. Don't wait for the miraculous. Find God in the ordinary. Find God in the everyday. That's the story of Hanukkah. And that's why we light the menorah and we don't tell the story. We don't, I mean, we, we allude it, we, we allude to it, but we don't, we don't say it like that because the main story of Hanukkah is about finding the light in the darkness. And that can only happen experientially. That can only happen when we actually find it. You can't tell the story. Because what story are you going to tell? Yeah, It's an ordinary story. It doesn't have this pizzazz to it. But that's where the beauty is. And so I hope we've shifted our way of thinking of Hanukkah. Everyone, everyone thinks of Hanukkah in one dimension. The one dimension of Hanukkah is the miracle of the oil lasting for eight nights. Everyone says that. And you know what? That's a great miracle. But you know what the bigger miracle is? Finding God in the everyday. Thursday night, 8.40 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. God is right here. God is right now. This moment, this breath that I'm taking in and inhaling and exhaling is no less a miracle. No less a miracle than the splitting of the sea. It's no less a miracle than the oil lasting for eight, for, for eight days. It's no less a miracle. 
I only choose to not see it as a miracle because of my lack of perception. Because it happens continuously. That doesn't make it less of a miracle. That does not constitute less God in this moment than any other moment, including the miraculous. This is the real story of Hanukkah. This is a story of Hanukkah that you can't teach. You can't tell. You have to experience. You have to see it for yourself. And you see it by turning on the light. You see it by turning on the light in those spaces of darkness to find the extraordinary within the ordinary. So my friends, as we celebrate the fifth night of Hanukkah, as we celebrate the preponderance of light in a space of darkness, let's remember that yes, the ordinary is extraordinary. And let's commit this Hanukkah and beyond to celebrate the little things that are not so little at all. Thank you very much for joining me tonight for Torah Studies, Hanukkah edition. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope it made sense. I hope it resonated with you. Questions, comments? Yes. You can also be considered a semi-miracle, if there's such a thing, a semi-miracle, that they, that the priests did not even have to look for kosher oil because the, the, the uh, temple was defiled. Yes. They could have stopped right there and said, you know, um, let's use this oil until we make others. But they kept searching for this. So that's the semi, they kept searching. They didn't need it. Right. It was, the temple was defiled. They did, they did not need kosher oil. That's in, in some Richard, you are correct 100%. And the Rebbe speaks about this also. That here you have people that weren't satisfied with the story ending. Right? The story, okay, the story's over. We won. It's a happy ending. No, 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 no. There's something more here. Right? It's, it's about pushing. It's about pushing against the edges, against the contours of, uh, of, of nature to, to, find, to find that supernatural, to find that spark. I've shared, I've shared this multiple times. I've shared this multiple times. This, there's a prayer in the morning service on Shabbat. It's from the book of Psalms. Hodu Lashem Kitov Kili Olam Chasto. 26 standards. 26 stanzas of praising God. We thank God for the exodus, for the splitting of the sea, for the Egyptian firstborn, for, for the civil war that happened in Egypt, for, a king, uh, for, for the defeat of Og and, and um, Sichon, the kings. And the... Anyway, we, we have all these wonderful miracles that we talk about. And then the last stanza, second to last stanza is... Um, Praises God, right? For giving the one, um, the one who gives bread to all flesh for his kindness is everlasting. Thank you, Hashem, for giving bread to all flesh. And the, 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 the astute reader of the uh, sayer of the prayer says, one second, we're talking about these big, big, big miracles. And now we're talking about food? What's going on? My high. What's, how, why, why is bread, why is food coming in with all these miracles? We're talking about big stuff, not little stuff. Oh, that's the message. Same message as tonight. Don't, who told you this was little stuff? Who, who convinced you that this is not a miracle? You know, when you were a kid, all right, let's make it, let's make it more uh, inclusive. When we were kids, all of us, we looked at the world with astonishment, with wonder. Everything was, was amazing. But then, I don't know when it happened, but at some point, we lost the magic. We lost the magic, and it became, yeah, another day. Ah, another day. Oh, the sun came up. Wonderful. A nice, you know, blue sky. Big deal. Right? We became cynical. We became jaded. 
unfortunately. Not all of us, but most of us. Okay, all of us, right? At some point, we become jaded and we stop being awed and wondered by the miracle that is life itself. The whole point of tonight's class and this insight into Hanukkah is to restore that sense of wonder, to live with a sense of just wonder and joy and delight in the ordinary, because it's not so ordinary. Mom, hold on, don't forget to unmute. Yeah. Oh, hold on, hold on, hold on. I clicked, I clicked, uh, asked to unmute, and I think I, I muted you back. Here, okay. try it again. There you go. Okay, so I, I just have a quick question. Um, uh, where, what category does the, uh, when, was it Devore? No, who, who was it who killed the, the, the general? With, or, was that, or was that a different time altogether? Well, there was, there was, was Devorah and Yael and Sisera. That was, was that Hanukkah? It might have been around Hanukkah. I thought that's what, why we eat dairy. No, 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 no. I think you might be right. I think, I think you're. I think there's a connection there. Yeah, it's. Holofernes wasn't it? Holofernes who was the who was the, the the general that she killed. Could be. It's it's been it's been it's been a while since I've I've been like in that. Uh, it's about two thousand years. It's yeah. It's a little bit more, but yes, it's been it's been it's been it's been, it's been a minute. It depends if it was. In right. Or Greek. Right. No, this is before. This would be before. Um, I think it was a woman who did kill a general. Yeah, Elm. Yeah. But she, but she, she fed him, I think, milk or something. She fed him wine and cheese, and he yeah. fell asleep, and she drove a stake in his head. But I, and I do think there is, I, I do recall there is a Hanukkah connection there, but I don't, again, the finer points of connection. I'm forgetting. And then, and then the soldiers couldn't find him, and they looked in the tent, and they saw the head, and they all ran away. So right. that's what I'm... I mean, I don't know what... All right. What I think the story is, can I tell where I think it is? For sure. Uh, this could be way off this. Way off this. So forgive me in advance. I Wait. A Jewish woman married a Greek publicly. And uh, I, it gets a little bizarre here, so forgive me. Uh, she was in the temple. She became naked just to defile it, and for whatever reason, she did that to get his attention to, to, to kind of say, "I'm really with the Greeks." And then that night, she fed him wine and cheese and killed him. Okay, mm, that's I'm not remembering well, that story. No, that right. I never heard. Well, I heard, I heard the other day. The other day and whatever. Okay. All right. Could be. Could be. Yael is in the time of Deborah, right? Yes, Yael was with Devorah, yes. That was in the time, that was way before. That was in the times of the, of the judges. Yeah, Deborah, Devorah was a, was a judge. Like, in the, like before Samson, like this is before the Jewish monarchy, before the first temple. So this would be like probably 500 years before that or more. So, okay. yeah. so the connection ah, could with, be. The, with, the, with the milk and, and Hanukkah with the... You know, I I don't know. I, I, it's so I listen. I we could speculate. I'm not sure. We okay. it's yeah. It's I'll try to find it. We can look it up and we'll give homework to everybody. Figure out the uh, the connection or or not. <laughs> we'll we'll look it up. Um,
But look, it's, you know, we have different, your question was what category of miracle? I think, I think we have somewhat of a framework here and I'll, I'll let everyone decide on their own. I don't, I don't need to be the one to decide which, which miracle is what, but we have different buckets to summarize. We have those that are clear and open miracles, right? It's obvious that was a miracle. Then you have the miracles that are, well, it's, it's, it's I mean, it, it kind of is natural what happened, but it's so coincidental that it happened to be the right person, the right place. And then you're like, well, that's got to be bigger than just natural. And then you have the seemingly completely natural stuff. And that's that third level is where we're focusing our attention tonight. That's where we're lighting the candle. We're lighting the candle on that space, in that space of it's not so ordinary. It's not so ordinary. Even the normal stuff. Yeah, the stuff that went exactly as, as planned, exactly as expected, nothing out of the ordinary. It's still special. It's still divine. It's still a miracle. All right. Oh, good. Donna, thank you. Cheese and dairy and Hanukkah. Donna to the rescue. And I have, I have, I have an addendum, which when, when, by the time Purim comes around, can we research what, what miracle Esther Esther is considered in the past. I would, I, so I would actually, so I have thoughts about that one. I was thinking about that. I would think, by the way, the story of, is not Deborah and it's not Yael. It's the book of Yehudit. Yehudis, yes. Yehudis. So that's a different story. Yeah. It's a different story, but also with decapitation. All right. So, so Yael is not the only one who decapitated a guy. All right, fine. So there's, there's multiple, multiple stories. All right, listen, everyone's going to research it on their own. I don't want to take up more time. But the story of Purim, quickly, I would put that as a level two miracle where, I mean, look, the fact is the king's wife was Jewish and she annulled the decree against her people. All of that is natural. But the fact that it happened to be a Jewish queen that no one knew she was Jewish at the time when the decree came up against the Jews, I mean, that coincidence can't be ignored. So I would put it not as an open miracle, not as completely natural. I would put it at that level two where it's natural. What, what happens makes sense in the narrative. It's not like extraordinary. It ha makes sense. But come on, that Esther was the queen at the time of Haman's decree and she annulled it without him even knowing that that was happening because he didn't know that she was Jewish. Boom. I mean, that's amazing. So that's like this, that's that hybrid level miracle. All right, let's, um, let's wrap it up. I know it's Hanukkah and everyone's got, got to get back to their menorahs to listen to the stories. Don't forget, let, um, uh, night number five, the night where the tide shifts, where the light starts outweighing the darkness, so to speak, right. in our own lives. Let us embrace the light and keep on shining within ourselves, our homes, our families, our communities, and the entire world. Happy Hanukkah, Hanukkah Sameach. We'll see you soon. Oh, very important announcement, very important announcement. I've sent out a message or two. Didn't have a chance to really express it in a class, but I do want to take the opportunity now. Next Thursday night, we have a rare and incredible opportunity. It's the fifth day of Tevet, which is, and I'll speak about it next week, which is, going, which is a day celebrating Jewish books, and Jewish literature. When I say literature, I don't mean I don't mean novels. I don't mean um, Jewish novels. I mean like Jewish like Torah books, like scholarship books. It's a day that's all about scholarship and books. We're gonna have an evening. This is an in-person event, as you'll you'll see soon why. It's an evening dedicated to books, Jewish books. We're gonna have uh, there's a cocktail reception, so we have food. 
We're then going to have a multimedia experience highlighting the origins and the history, beautiful history of the Jewish printing press and some of the most famous and complicated Jewish books in history. And then we'll have over a hundred titles of Jewish books for you to peruse, browse, and purchase. This is like, imagine going to a Judaica store in Brooklyn with like, you know, books. We're bringing it to Atlanta. This is going to be one night only at Chabad, at Intown Jewish Academy, in Jeff's place. It's going to be decked out. You'll have a chance to enjoy good food, have a chance to experience the history of the Jewish printing press and extraordinary books about history and pick up some amazing Jewish titles to add to your library or to create your Judaic library. So don't miss this. December 9th, we're calling this event Bound to Inspire. Bound to Inspire. All right. All the, all the pun experts can certainly understand why we called it Bound to Expire, right? And to Inspire. All right. So that is that. So join us next week. It's a free event. Books will be available for purchase. We actually um, have um, arranged a discount off the list price of all these books. So you're getting these books at a discounted rate. And it's going to be a beautiful evening. So join us. Absolutely free to enjoy. Spread the word. It's on our website, intownjewishacademy.org slash books. intownjewishacademy.org slash books. Join and share. All right. With that, I will, bear you, I will bid you farewell. And Laila Tov. Good night, everybody. Chanukah Sameach. Take care, everybody. Take care. Bye.